Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church. Uh, we are making our way through the Gospel of uh, Matthew, and our current sermon series is called Embracing Discipleship. The calling and commissioning of the 12 apostles of Jesus offer us lessons in our discipleship journey. Today, I'll be completing this series as we wrap up this section of the Gospel of Matthew. When I was a teenager, I worked briefly for a small company that offered classes in computer programming. Now, my job was to recruit students to join the course. I must have knocked on at least 2,000 doors in two months' time. It was cold calling, and my goal was to talk about how this computer programming course can revolutionize the career of any young person. This was the passport that they needed to tour the world. Now, I didn't believe most of what I said, but I made big promises. I did my best to arouse curiosity by exaggerating claims. Tell about the incredible job prospects one has even after finishing six weeks of training. I was willing to do whatever it took to get people on board. If I could get people to just sign up for the course, that was success. See, the end justified the means. Uh, even today, we get those type of marketing calls. We're familiar with such terrible recruiting strategies. In order to get people to buy into something, you only highlight the benefits, the perks, what you can get out of it. Now contrast this with Jesus' style of recruiting. As you read Matthew chapter 10, it strikes you that Jesus was not painting a rosy picture in order to get people on board. He's not making false promises or lofty claims to impress people. Jesus does not lower the standards to attract those who are uninterested. What is fascinating is, if you pay close attention, you will see Jesus discourages people from following him by highlighting the cost. Jesus sets the bar high and challenges repeatedly to consider what it entails before you make up your mind to be a disciple of Christ. And this kind of approach goes against the face of our modern marketing strategies. It flies in the face of our modern evangelistic preaching. See, Jesus was not after numbers. He was not after popularity. It wasn't about clinching the deal. Jesus was looking for sincere seekers who fully understand the demands of walking in his footsteps. The words that we will be looking at today are hard to get your head around. In fact, a person who's not familiar with the Bible will be shocked that these words came from the mouth of Jesus. But Jesus didn't say all of this just to offend people, but he was getting people's attention by laying it all out. 
Before you commit to discipleship, you need to know what you're signing up for. If I can give you today's message in a nutshell, this is it. Discipleship may be the hardest journey you will ever undertake, but it brings the greatest rewards. Why is this the hardest journey? And what are the rewards of discipleship? That's what we will be exploring today. Now, wherever you're watching this, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 42. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Could you join me in prayer? Lord, we recognize the power and the gravity of these words. And sometimes these words are overwhelming. And we need the help of your spirit to be in tune with your voice, to understand the meaning of these texts and to apply them to our life. So Lord, we pray that you will challenge us. You will deepen our commitment to discipleship. That at the end of this sermon, we will be all the more committed to following you, knowing the cost and the demands of discipleship. So Lord, speak to us in the power of your spirit. We ask these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The Hard Sayings of Jesus by F. F. Bruce is a classic Christian book that tackles some of the difficult words Jesus spoke. These sayings may surprise even Christians. Many would not associate these words with Jesus. And three of the verses in our text are part of this collection of hard sayings in this book. As you can see, we have a challenging passage on our hand. A popular adage describes Jesus' ministry very well. He comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. And that's why Jesus had such a polarizing effect. Jesus didn't use mere platitude. He was no diplomat. 
His words were at times piercing. Jesus extends the invitation to everyone to become his disciple. While the offer is free, the demands are total. The words of our text may seem extremely harsh, but we have to place them in its context in order to understand what it says to us today. What makes discipleship a hard journey is what we are going to look at today. Now look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now when you read something like this, it makes you scratch your head and go, did Jesus say that? Did these words come from the mouth of our Savior? You know, honestly, words like these appear to be like that of a terrorist or someone who spreads their ideology by use of force or compulsion. Now, how can this be compatible with the most loving, gracious, compassionate person that we ever know? I tell you, these words are meant to startle us, to awaken us, to agitate us. You cannot hear the words of Jesus and just yawn. Now let me explain what Jesus is saying here and put it in its context, what he means by a sword. It's very clear from the Gospels that Jesus did not advocate war or conflict. He taught, blessed are the peacemakers. At the time of his arrest, Jesus told Peter to get rid of the sword. Jesus did not fight his enemies, but he was like a lamb led to be slaughtered. He did not resort to physical resistance. The word for sword in our text is a metaphor. Sword here does not mean violence or force. It is speaking of division. Jesus is primarily referring to the tension in the family when a person makes this decision to become his disciple. When this happens, Jesus says, there will be division and that is inevitable. See, that comes across more clearly when you look at what Jesus says next, verses 35 and 36. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. I don't think Jesus is saying here that he came to divide families. That is not the purpose of his coming. But he is implying that it could be a possible side effect, a consequence of his coming. A sword is a metaphor that divides, separates those who believe and those who don't. When a person becomes a Christian and the rest of the family don't share the same convictions, there clearly can be this resentment. When you take seriously 
the decision to follow Jesus. People close to you will try to dissuade you. They will discourage you and may even mock you for your faith. When you make it the absolute priority of your life to keep Jesus at the center and live your life governed by His principles, expect severe hostility. People you love may not understand your passion and will call you crazy. You will hear words that are cutting and it hurts because they are spoken by people you love the most. Have you become a religious fanatic? What is wrong with you? What has gone into your head? Why can't you be normal? Have you been brainwashed? If you're a young person, a boyfriend or a girlfriend may break up with you because of your decision to follow Jesus. Because you don't see eye to eye on some of the fundamental things of life. Some of you may not be able to continue in your place of work because of your Christian commitment. You refuse to approve something that is unethical and now they want you out. Maybe God will call some of you to serve in some other part of the world and your family members may be the first people to stop you from your calling. They will say, there are lots of lost people right here in Calgary, here in Airdrie. Why do you want to go far away? Are you insane? Are you not taking this Jesus thing too seriously? God will challenge you, some of you, to steward your inheritance in a way that honors His kingdom, and that may upset people who are near and dear. All of this, all of this causes division, and the people close to you fail to understand your heart, your motivation, what's driving you. And in those moments, when you feel the weight of close family members standing against you, Jesus wants you to know, even if no one else understands, He knows and He sees the motivations of your heart. Here is a gospel promise that I have personally held on to as a new believer. And over the years, I can testify that this is true. And I say this for the glory of God. I hear this promise in Matthew 19, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. See, when you give up something valuable for Jesus' sake, you will be repaid many times over. Discipleship is the hardest journey you will undertake, but it brings the greatest reward. God will take good care of you. There are rewards in this present life and more importantly, eternal rewards in the life to come. Let me give you another reason why discipleship is hard. 
Look at verses 37 and 38. And these are very hard-hitting words. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If you think these are difficult words for today, and you read these words by placing them in its original context, they appear to be all the more radical. The society in those times centered on the family. Everything revolved around it. People lived together as large extended families. So your family was your primary support system. And Jesus is saying something that will upset the way families functioned in the first century. Your first and foremost devotion is not to your family, but to the Lord Jesus. Now keep in mind, by no means is Jesus calling us to ignore our families or not honor our parents or love our spouse and children. That would be irresponsible on our part. But our family ties must never come before our commitment to Jesus. We are not careful. Our family can occupy all of our time, resources, and energy that there is nothing left for God. God only gets the leftovers. We serve Him the scraps. The key to understanding this text is the word love. If you love someone or something more than Jesus, then it becomes an issue. So the question we should ask is, do I love Jesus more than my parents, my spouse, my children, my friends, a nice comfortable living that I have conceived for my life? Jesus alone deserves our first love. He alone deserves our utmost passion. He has to be that red hot center of our life. You know, for the listeners who heard this for the very first time, this seemed ridiculous. For no rabbi in Jesus' time would have made such a claim. In fact, this would be considered blasphemy. Now, what kind of a person would be so bold, so outrageous to tell another person, you have to love me more than your spouse, your own children, your parents? Now, who in their right mind would make a statement like that even today? The only one who can lay such a claim over your life is the God who created you. And that is who Jesus is. As Lord and Master over our life, He alone can make such a demand. Jesus is our first love, and that is a requirement for discipleship. That is the only way to be worthy of Jesus, to place Him above all our earthly allegiances and ties. And this is 
hard because people around you think otherwise. A young man from Calgary, from another faith, started coming to some of our worship services. A friend and I met with him right here in the church. And we shared the gospel. The guy was visibly moved. He sensed the, the prompting of the spirit. He even said this made total sense. This kind of teaching is not found in his faith. So we asked the next question. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you ready to give full control of your life to Jesus Christ? The young man paused. And with tears in his eyes, he looked at us and he said, I want to. But how can I do this to my father? We emigrated here to Canada and my father basically sacrificed everything for us. So I can have a good life, receive a good education. And if I become a Christian, it will be like me taking a knife and stabbing my dad in his heart. And he will be so hurt by my decision that I don't even know if he will recover from it. Now, after all that he has done for me, how can I ever do this to him? And the young man just stood up and walked away. And that was a tough conversation. It stayed with me for a long time. My heart just went out to this young man for his devotion to his family. I wept. And even in those moments, I was reminded how applicable and relevant are the words of Jesus for today. If you love anyone or anything more than me, you cannot be my disciple. Discipleship is hard. It's painful. Jesus said so. He did not hide the demands. Whoever wants to be a disciple of Jesus has to deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow him. It was not an unusual sight during Jesus' time when a person condemned to be executed on a cross would carry that very same wooden cross and make their way up to their place of execution. And they will walk through public streets in front of all the people because the Romans thought it would serve as a deterrent to others. But Jesus is saying something powerful through this analogy. Now, are you that serious about following me? Will you be my disciple even if this is going to cost you your life? Discipleship is not for the faint-hearted. But it comes with a reward. A text highlights that side by side, the demands along with the rewards. Look at verse 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. See, there is a clear distinction made between our present temporary life and 
eternal life. In your journey of discipleship, you may lose your money, your reputation, your family, your career, even your life. Jesus says, I don't promise to protect you from all these trials just because you are my disciple. But the road that you will take will lead you to life and life to the full. It will leave you with absolutely no regrets. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and no human mind has even conceived the things that God has in store for those who love Him. But this other path, this other path may offer you all that you need in this life, in the here and now. It may appear to be glamorous. It promises to meet all your wants, your sensual pleasures. It is the path so many people will take and you will miss out on the eternal rewards. The biggest gainers of the world turn eventually into the biggest losers. And the so-called biggest losers will arise to be the greatest winners. Jesus reverses it all. He turns everything upside down. So here's the warning. Don't forfeit eternal rewards for the sake of temporary benefits. Now let us spend a few minutes on the last few verses of our text, verses 40 to 42. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Now hear what, he, what he's saying here. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. So the person who welcomes the prophet also receives the same reward as the prophet. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Again, the person who receives the righteous person gets the same reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, that's a key word there. Truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Truly I tell you, is that phrase that occurs frequently in the sayings of Jesus. Every time you see that, you have to pay attention. You know, the old King James Version used to translate it as, uh, verily, verily, I say unto thee. And, and what that means is it's just Jesus is alerting us. He's about to say something very important. So he's saying, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Something for us to pay attention to. So Jesus is once again turning the conversation back to the rewards of being a disciple. Jesus identifies with his disciples so closely, so much so that receiving them is the same as receiving Jesus. The way you treat an ambassador reflects the treatment of the one the ambassador represents. Because the disciples represent Jesus, what we do for the disciples is equated with what you do for the Lord himself. Here's the point of our text, and it is so 
easy to forget this in our day-to-day interactions as a Christian community. Our acts of kindness, our demonstration of love to fellow Christians is seen as our acts of kindness and demonstration of love to Jesus. So what that means is how we treat our fellow Christians is how we are treating Jesus himself. If you want Jesus to come to your home, express hospitality to those who are his disciples. If you want to serve Jesus, meet the needs of those who are part of his kingdom, your brothers and sisters in Christ. The way to express your love and devotion to Jesus is by expressing our kindness to our fellow Christians. And Jesus takes note of even those smallest acts of kindness to advance his mission, and he promises to reward us on the basis of that. So giving cold water was the most basic form of hospitality that you could do in the Middle Eastern cultures where the temperatures were hot. And Jesus says, even that very small act will be rewarded. The language that he uses is strong. As I said, he's saying, truly, I say to you, you will certainly not lose your reward. This is how we are called to live the Christian life. In light of the eternal rewards that await us, so much so, The cost of discipleship is nothing. Gladly we embrace the difficult life because of what God has promised to give us in return. Let me close with this illustration. I heard something similar from Pastor Tim Keller and I've adapted it a little bit for us today. Imagine two people working the same kind of job. The labor is intense, monotonous, boring. There's not much creativity needed for the job. You have to do the same thing eight hours a day with few breaks. Both people work in the same environment, except for one difference. You tell the first person, at the end of the year, they will be getting $20,000. And you tell the other person at the end of the year, you will get $100 million. And after a couple of weeks of engaging in this boring job, you will hear the first person complain. Hey, isn't this tedious? Isn't this driving you insane? Aren't you thinking about quitting? This is the most boring job on the planet. And the second person will say, No, this is perfectly acceptable. I have no plans of quitting. I'm fine and I'm happy with my work. And what is going on? You have two people who are experiencing identical circumstances in radically different ways. What makes the difference? It is the expectation of the future. What they will get in the end, the rewards. 
No, the purpose of this illustration is not to say people will do anything for the sake of money. However, what I want to show you is what we believe about our future has a direct effect on how we are experiencing our present. The promise of a future reward gives us a totally different perspective of how we are facing the challenges of life. And that is true of the Christian life. God has a great reward for us, the gift of His own presence. He has promised that one day there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, that we will walk on streets paved with gold, and Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. And Jesus promises that He will reward us for even the small acts of kindness, things that we do to advance His kingdom, to bless those who are His disciples. We are called to live in light of this future reality, in light of the promised inheritance, and make choices today in anticipation of the rewards that are in store for us. So live your life today by fixing your eyes on Jesus and the rewards that He has in store for you.